0: 38 tomorrow a sunny day and a high at 60. Live from the Lincoln Douglas
1: Building in downtown Quincy, the only local show taking a principled stand on the issues of the day. This is how it happens. It's the natural process of things. The view of the entrenched is predictable, but it's also erroneous. With Sean secrets We have an addiction in this country, not only to government welfare and government handouts, but more fundamentally. To other people's money. And Queen. Again, you're dancing with government. This is the morning meeting. You cannot continue to advocate for status quo when status quo has run the ship aground. On Talk Radio 930, WTAD. Guilty is charged. I was self-medicating after that weak Cubs comeback last night against the Giants, and uh, we'll see weak? how that plays out today. Wait a minute, weak? Those singles were all weak, seeing eye singles. I think the weak part was the Giants bullpen, who well, who, who thought maybe Moore was going to come out and do the ninth in the, his I 120th so. pitch, and so. just leave him out there. Hey, what, you we're want good. us to come in and throw? We're good. Yeah, yeah, they kind of uh, mentally relaxed like the uh, Quincy high kickoff coverage uh, team against Moline last Ooh. week. Yeah, that's right. Called them out, too. It's the morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Secrease, Quade, with you this morning. It is a full plate today. Dwayne Lester going to join us in just about half an hour. Mm -hmm. Austin Berg, the writer behind the new Mike Madigan documentary that debuts tonight in Springfield, will be with us as well. Yes, And we get to kick things off with Krista Huff. Our guest on the morning meeting, a retired vice president of Morgan Stanley. Uh, She now owns the Goodfellow LLC website where she keeps track not only of the stock market and economics, but is a uh, conservative activist as well. Krista, good morning and welcome back to the morning meeting.
2: Good morning. How are you all today?
1: We're doing excellent. Thank you for joining us. Uh, What did you make out of the uh, couple of presidential debates that we've had? Are we talking about the important things, economics, where this country needs to go? Or are we just obsessing over sort of fifth grade gym class talk?
2: There's a lot of fifth grade gym class talk. And frankly, I don't like the format when when the public asks questions because... I just find those questions so inane compared to real issues, and and I realize that makes me sound really rude, but um, that's how I feel about it. I, I like it when we talk about the economy and real problems.
1: One of the problems with the economy is that no one seems to be paying attention right now, in my humble opinion. We've been told by the Obama administration that 1% to 2% growth is the new normal. And I thought Trump brought up a good point in the uh, previous debate where he said if they had only 7% growth in China, it would be a national emergency. Have we just been told for so long that we can't expect growth anymore that it, it just doesn't feel like the, the America that I grew up in, where you always should be able to achieve, to grow, to look forward, to prosper? Uh,
2: you know, as, as a real clear example, I have two career jobs right now. I write a stock market newsletter, and I'm a lobbyist. In the old days, either of jo- those jobs would have supported a family, yet I have to have both those jobs in order to support my family. So that's, I find that somewhat shocking.
1: Krista Huff, Huff our, our guest this morning. morning on The Morning Meeting. Thank you, Yo, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Working in stereo. One of the things that uh, briefly got brought up in the debates was the uh, TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, there's been back and forth on this particular uh, agreement or, or uh, idea, and Hillary Clinton's kind of been on both sides of it. Uh, and I and and I, the the general consensus I, I and consensus is probably not the right word is that this is a, a large enough agreement that there are probably things in there that would be bad for us, uh, but we just haven't sussed them out. And I don't know that we want to wait to find out, you know, for for it to go into action for things to start to, uh, occurring, the consequences to start coming upon us. Uh, is is there a way for us to to really get to The nut of the TPP without being distracted in six or eight different directions uh, before Mm -hmm. we begin to have to, you know, live it in reality.
2: Okay, pretend that 99% of it was pristine and there was only 1% that was bad. I will give you that 1% right now, and this is enough of a reason to vote no. The TPP is a sovereignty giveaway. That means that the U.S. Congress and our judicial system will no longer be in charge of our country. The TPP creates a new commission called the TPP Commission, which will have representatives of each of the 12 partner countries. And the TPP is a living document, which we have not seen before in a trade document. And that means that at this new commission... They will make decisions on behalf of the 12 partner countries forever. They can take things out of the trade agreement. They can put new things into it. If they vote amongst themselves to put in things about uh, firearms, health care, climate change, you name it, they can add it. And then we're stuck with it, bypassing Congress.
1: That uh, seems quite... uh, You talk about uh, no sovereignty. There's also, at that point in time, uh, no borders, I guess, unless you're Mm -hmm. on the outside Mm -hmm. of the uh, TPP. Uh, Hillary uh, initially was for this. Uh, She now says she's against it. I guess she reserves the right to be for it again Mm -hmm. if she's uh, elected president? Uh,
2: So there is an article anyone can Google, and the title is Forty-five times Secretary Clinton pushed the trade bill she now opposes, and you can read each of her public speeches um, where she called it the gold standard and favored it. And then she came out against it when uh, she was running for president, and Bernie Sanders was against it, and most of the Republican opponents were against it, so she realized she had to be against it publicly in order to sway the voters. And then we had two debates recently, and she very carefully avoided saying almost anything about the TPP itself, but both times she said this. She said that she would have a trade prosecutor to make sure that we don't get taken advantage of by China, et cetera. Well, I I realize that that made her sound tough and authoritarian and and like she was going to protect our country, but the fact is, and she knew this, she cannot, as a president, appoint a trade prosecutor to apply to the TPP or any previous trade agreement, but she knows that the audience did not know that she will not have the power to do that, so she used it as a way to get off the topic.
1: Sounds like the public versus private faces she was espousing mm-hmm. on Sunday night. Uh, Krista Huff, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Krista, it sounds like all of the things you just described about the TPP and uh, power over that trade agreement being taken away is the very reason that the U.K. just, dis- just voted to exit with Brexit, because all of their uh, fundamental economic decision-making power was taken away from the country and and given to a larger-scale group. It it might not be a a clean simile, but did we learn nothing from that to see that our our cousins in Europe are now wanting to forge their own destiny rather than hand that over to the EU?
2: Right. They tried trade, they tried EU, and it harmed them both economically and with a massive uh, immigration problem. Uh, and the U.S. has exactly the same problems. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands possibly of Syrian refugees are coming into the U.S. None of our country's leaders are standing up to stop that, except Donald Trump is uh, verbally telling us that he will stop that. And frankly, he should. Um, you know, these are the these folks are the source of the terrorism that's taking place around the world. Now, granted, 98% of them are not actual terrorists, but if the if the terrorists are coming entirely from the Middle East and we're letting in 100,000 people from the Middle East without betting them, that's just incredibly stupid. That's like putting a child in a candy store uh, with no adults and telling the child, don't eat any candy, I'll be back in eight hours.
1: Krista Huff, our guest this morning on The Morning Meeting. We don't have a whole lot of time left, uh, Krista. I, I, business, finance, free trade. It, uh, free trade sounds good for uh, business and, and finance. Uh, those two sectors also big donators to political campaigns. If the TPP is ultimately in the end going to be bad for that uh, business and finance, why would they be supporting a candidate who is kind of clandestinely for it?
2: Uh, okay. Okay. Um...
1: And this is going to be a the long P- answer.
2: EPP P- 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 is, is not bad for finance in terms of Goldman Sachs. So there are globalists who are running our country and running the world, and they want a one-world order, and those are the folks who are behind the TPP. But if you go um, into towns across America, you will find job devastation from previous trade agreements, Mm -hmm. and that has almost everything to do with trade cheating and currency manipulation. And so while free trade sounds like a wonderful idea, what we really want is Their trade. We want to put a stop to the trade cheating, and and nobody ever puts a stop to it. And, And so if we could fix former trade agreements and fix the TPP, then, yeah, have at it. Let us sell our stuff. Let them sell their stuff. But it is not an even playing field, and the U.S. gets harmed greatly from these trade agreements.
1: You can see her work at goodfellowllc.com. Krista Huff, the retired vice president of Morgan Stanley and uh, now political activist as well as a uh, conservative commentator. Krista Huff, our guest this morning on The Morning Meeting. Krista, thank you so much for coming back on the show. We enjoyed it immensely. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Check check her out, goodfellowllc.com. Coming up, the new documentary, Mike Power, Privilege, and Politics begins its screenings across Illinois today. We'll talk to Austin Berg, the writer, next on The Morning Meeting.
2: Where we go, others will follow.
0: That's who
1: we are. Even if it's not the best idea. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD.
2: This is Mark Levin, and you're listening to The Morning Meeting on
1: Talk Radio 930 WTAD. If you bought it, how did it not sell? That's what my question was. We're going to have to have I'm going to have to have Krista Huff talk to them about economics and how the market works because I'm missing my Fulton's Harvest pumpkin liqueur about this time of year as it continues to get cooler outside. Mm. You know, what? that sounds like it would go well with a documentary on Mike Madigan. Madigan, Power, Privilege, and Politics. The documentary begins screening tonight across Illinois. Austin Berg was the writer and is with the Illinois Policy Institute. He joins us now. Austin, good morning. Thanks for uh, being part of the morning meeting.
0: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
1: So what was it like to put this together, this documentary on Madigan's public life in the state of Illinois? It's been uh, raging on uh, literally since I was born in the 70s. This had to be a, a large uh, body to undertake and try to, uh, try to just streamline this into a film.
0: There's, you're right. There's so many stories of this guy, and and so little time. The, the documentary is only an hour, and it spans the political career of a guy who's been in the state house since 1971, and he's been speaker uh, for 31 of the last 33 years. So you're right. There's a wealth there's a wealth of material. But I think one of the interesting things we found while making this, um, and of course it's a documentary, so we do a lot of interviews, and it's very difficult to get people to talk about this guy on the record, and that speaks to his Sort of the culture of fear in Illinois politics under his reign uh, for the last 30, 40 years. Uh, we even asked three production houses in Illinois. We got in pretty late stage meetings with them asking if they'd like to do the film. They were super interested. And at the last minute, they said, We cannot risk revenge from this guy. We're not going to do it.
1: Wow. Austin Berg, I guess, this morning on the morning meeting. When did you begin? When did this uh, project uh... get brought forth did you present it to illinois policy or did they come to you and say hey would you like to do this how long did it take to put this together
0: so we've actually illinois policy has been been talking about this guy for about fifteen years now illinois policy action which which funded the film has been around for several years and has been engaged in this work uh... i think the point now the only difference is that we're doing a documentary so it gets uh, a, lo- a lot more news coverage It's sort of a big ticket item um, And the fact that we did that was sort of, the idea was to bring, uh, go to where the people are at, essentially. There's so much political engagement in Illinois right now, we thought it would be the perfect time to let people learn about the most powerful politician in the state, perhaps in the state's history. And uh, yeah, so we thought it was really important now, when such huge issues are facing the state and people are more engaged, uh, that we put out something uh, as big as a full-length, feature-length documentary.
1: Austin Berg, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Austin, Dinesh D'Souza has had a lot of coverage and acclaim for his political documentaries. Are we as a society ready now for more political documentaries in the moment? Usually, when you see these uh, previously, they've been historical pieces that have looked back on a previous time. Now we see political documentaries being made in the moment. What's it like to be a part of that?
0: Uh, It's fantastic, and I think, I mean, uh, if you talk to the producers of the film, I I was speaking with them yesterday, they said the first criteria for making this when we approached them with this project was, is this guy interesting enough to make a documentary about? And I think that's really the first litmus test whenever you're doing a project like this. And it turns out, I mean, this guy is so interesting. There's so, there's so many stories of whether it's legislative maps or the millions of dollars he makes off of property taxes or the patronage system that we explore in depth uh, in this film. There's so many stories about them. And as I said before, people are so engaged because we live in a state that has uh, the worst population loss in the Midwest, the worst employment recovery in the Midwest, the worst credit rating in the nation, the worst pension crisis in the nation, and we have the highest property taxes in the nation. So unfortunately, due to those issues that are pressing everyday people, um, I think there's a lot of political engagement. And we thought this was something that people deserve to see, Illinois deserve to see, when they're living in a state that's been controlled by by a single person for so long.
1: Austin Berg, uh, our guest this morning on the Morning Meeting. Austin, this uh, film debuts tonight in Springfield. After that, it goes up north. Uh, all around uh, the Chicagoland area. Uh, c- d- did you not shop it I- I down around the Metro East, or are you waiting to move there next? Uh, will it- Actually, I think what Quade's trying to ask is, why do you hate Quincy? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we don't hate any part of the state. We love all of Illinois, and we're working with some downstate theaters right now. So if you guys uh, keep looking at michaelmadigan.com or if you like us on Facebook at Illinois Policy, you can be apprised of all the updates uh, when that movie will be showing downstate. <laughs>
1: Is there a way if people want to try and bring it to their community that they can get in touch with you and and try and do that?
0: Absolutely. So if you go to michaelmadigan.com, we have a form there and you can feel free to email us and tell us to bring it to your town. We'd love to take it there.
1: Have you been the uh, victim of any threats of reprisal for making this? You mentioned several production houses in the state wouldn't touch it because of that fear of reprisal. Have you uh, been subjected to any of that?
0: So we also, you got that right. The crews wouldn't take it. We also have a big part of the documentary is a Madigan patronage worker who went on the record uh, but decided to be anonymous. We literally had to pick him up and drop him off in separate locations. You'll hear his words in the movie. And also our crew received threats of violence while making this film. So it, it's, it's not a game. And Illinois politics is a full contact sport. And we, that's what we experienced in making this.
1: Austin Berg, I guess, this morning on the morning meeting. You mentioned uh, all of the uh, content that's there, but this is only an hour long. It, it, how long could it have been if you did the director's cut? 31 years? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you can make it as long as this political tenure if you wanted to. And I think you you can look for it. We have tons of footage that didn't make the film that we're still going to be showing. We put the best of the best in the film but we're still gathering stuff uh, week by week as people come out of the woodwork and share their stories about this guy. So you can look forward to more content just beyond this, uh, this film.
1: And so it, it, will it eventually, uh, it, will there be a, a DVD release or a Blu-ray release, or is it just going to show up like on YouTube one day?
0: So we, we're still uh, in the works of larger distribution plans. We're in a lot of different legal talks and uh, contract talks with a lot of different providers. You may see it on iTunes. You may see it on Netflix. You may see it at, me, at movie festivals. We'll see uh, We'll see where it goes.
1: Austin Berg, one of the writers on Madigan Power, Privilege, and Politics. It begins its screening run today in... Springfield Austin w- was this just a perfect storm being able to put this together about Mike Madigan or are there other political figures Illinois landscape or elsewhere uh that you're considering at this point
0: This is a perfect storm I'd be interested in making another full length documentary about uh Ed Burke who has been a Chicago alderman since 1969 and you can imagine all the skeletons in that closet um I think that would be interesting but I absolutely think it's a perfect storm I mean this guy and you see it. We interview uh, Lee Daniels, who's the former, who's the only Speaker of the House over the last thirty years not named Mike Madigan, and he said, "This is this is likely the most powerful state politician we've seen in our he's seen in his lifetime nationwide." Um, and in the trailer, uh, which we released for the film, I think it speaks to the demand uh, for this movie that got 1.3 million views on Facebook. And what it says in that trailer, which I think is is very important to note, is that since this guy became Speaker, there have been six governors, there have been more than 200 state senators, there have been more than 500 state representatives, and there's been one guy at the top of the pyramid for for more than 30 years, and that's been Mike Madigan.
1: What's one thing that you were surprised to learn during this process about Madigan? You go in, you, you always think you know everything there is to know, and then you get surprised by something. What's one thing you were surprised by?
0: This might be a bit, a bit in the weeds, but uh, so in 19, after the 1980 census, Madigan drew the legislative maps. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the root of his power to become Speaker for the first time in 1983. He drew a map that the Democratic Party loved. But there were uh, a great deal of legal challenges against that map, saying that it diluted uh, voting strength of black Illinoisans uh, on the south and west sides of Chicago specifically. The map was upheld by a judge, Susan Getzendaner, who is the ex-wife of Madigan's law partner. Getzendanner, Madigan and Getzendaner, his law firm that lowers property taxes uh, for thousands of Chicago clients. So that, that, that was one of the most crazy things that we found while researching for this.
1: Uh, Americans like fictionalized stories about uh, political players. Uh, I'm thinking, uh, especially maybe even here in Illinois, what was the one with Kelsey Grubb, boss? What's yes. the one on, on Netflix uh, that you enjoy, Sean? That's a House of Cards. Okay, is is Michael Madigan the type of uh, character that would translate to that, or would it be that people wouldn't even believe that somebody could go as far as the speaker has
0: gone? I think, it. yeah, it's sort of a case of truth is stranger than fiction, and I don't think you're going to see a House of Cards-style Madigan film uh, anytime soon where he's talking to camera. He's a pretty uh, tight-lipped guy. But we did find a lot of Great uh, archival footage of him uh, giving interviews that you'll see interspersed throughout the film that I think gives a lot of good color uh, to the type of guy he is and uh, sort of the power he's been able to, to um, maintain for so long.
1: Say what you will about him. I still say that uh, his, quote, henchman being named Madagoons is one of the greatest <laughs> nicknames in politics, period. Austin Berg, writer on the Madigan Power, Privilege, and Politics documentary. It begins its screening tonight in Springfield at the Legacy Theater. I have to imagine that is sold out. So get online, michaelmadigan.com, and you can also there uh, track how to try and bring that film to your community if it's not going to be or ne- be nearby you. Austin Berg, our guest this morning. Austin thank you so much, not only for your work on the film, but for your insight in joining us here this morning on the morning meeting.
0: Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it.
1: Coming up as we continue the morning meeting, Dwayne Lester joins us next. Giving conservatives a voice in the tri-states. I mean, this stuff moves people. It's the morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. WTAD. Morning meeting on Talk Radio 930, WTAD, Sean Seacree. That'll make sense when you hear the between segments segments uh, from the show today. Producer Josh back with us after a day away. And uh, Dwayne Lester joins us this morning on the morning meeting. Uh, The last time that we attempted to talk with Dwayne, he was actually standing on the nose of George Washington on Mount Rushmore while he was uh, on vacation. But uh, we're glad to have him back today. Dwayne, hopefully travels were safe. Good morning. Welcome back to the show.
3: Uh, apparently that's not allowed. Uh, they should put up a sign or something.
1: I totally agree.
3: <laughs> yeah, actually everything's great. Drove, uh, 13 miles or 13 hours there and back. No, more than that. It was like 16 hours there and back in a van with seven kids and a pregnant wife. And, uh, yeah, so there's that. There's, wow. That's the
1: next great American novel. Congratulations, I think sir. sir <laughs> coming from that. Dwayne Lester, DwayneLester.com <laughs> with us this morning on The Morning Meeting. You are no Donald Trump fan, but does it behoove the Clintons to keep making fun of the voting base of Trump? We had the basket of deplorables from Hillary. Now Bill has come out and said essentially uh, the, the the new stamped phrase is standard redneck for the Trump fans, does it behoove them to continue belittling those who are Trump supporters or those who are supporting Trump because they are dissatisfied with the representation they've been getting from either side of the aisle?
3: I don't see how that helps their case at all. You, see, you have to understand that right now they, that there are a lot of people who are already solidified. Of course, you've got the the people who have always been in, in Camp Hillary, and they're, you know, the, they're the folks, even Trump himself said, uh, that he, he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, and they wouldn't, they, it wouldn't change their minds. Um, so then you've got what's known as the, you know, um, the, the persuadables the, or, or the savables in the middle. You know, think of it like that. These are the people that you want to bring over to your side, and they're only going to take action. They're only going to vote for you if you can convince them that you've got an image of, of a better state, that voting for you is going to uh, create a better state for them. And I don't see how attacking the base of the other person does that.
1: Dwayne Lester with us uh, this morning on the morning meeting. Dwayne, you, you just made an update uh, to your website, DwayneLester.com. Uh, first time in about a, a month or so. You've been going through uh, John Podesta's uh, emails that were leaked via WikiLeaks, and you found something that is disturbing to you. Uh, you you want to share with everybody what that is, or you just want them to go oh. to the website?
3: No, you know, I, 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 you're right. I hadn't put anything on the blog in a while. I've been kind of busy, um, and I haven't done it. But I was looking at, through these emails, and there was a website, or there was an email that blew my mind. With it was a guy named Bill Ivy emailing John Podesta, and he was just upset. He was concerned that if after the, the conventions. Uh, Team Hillary goes back to strictly focusing on policy as per the norm after the conventions, that, you know, if Donald Trump is the candidate, that he'll be still full on, you know, the Trump-Kardashian uh, reality TV mode, and she can't compete with that. And then he, he wrote, basically he said, look, I know we've all been on board with uh, demeaning government and dropping civics from high school and basically – um, creating this uninformed and uh, compliant citizenry, but it seems now we've got the uninformed down, but they're not so compliant, and it it just stunned me because you know there's a book called Dumbing Us Down by John Taylor Gatto, and and we we we've talked about this center right about the fact that that schools don't teach civics anymore, and people don't understand how their governments work or what their rights are even, and that ignorance allows people left of center to Put forward policies that feel good and sound good, but are completely uh, against what America was founded on—the the idea of individual rights. But nobody has ever explained it, or just so cavalierly put it out there like this guy Bill Ivey did. And when I—it was so blatant when I first read it, I thought, "Okay, this is a fake. This is this is one of those bogus websites that's po- popped up uh, since Trump started campaigning." But when I looked into it, no, it was right on WikiLeaks's uh, webpage. So it's it's from WikiLeaks. But then I thought, okay, maybe this is just a made-up person. Maybe Bill Ivey doesn't exist, but Bill Ivey does exist. He's actually uh, worked with uh, President Clinton, uh, and he was part of President Obama's transition team. And I'm just, I'm it floored me that this was just so you know nonchalantly put out that, Look, I know we've been trying to create a, an ignorant mass. Uh, who's easily distracted, but it seems that the you know they're they're ignorant, but they're also non-compliant, and that that's a stunning admission to me.
1: Yeah, that dovetails with another uh, WikiLeaks uh, expose on the Clinton campaign and their cozy relationship with mass media the the, the names are familiar uh down in Brazil uh, other uh, representatives from both the DNC and from the Clinton campaign uh exchanging emails and congratulations and pleasure's doing business with you uh with CNN CNBC uh, the list goes on and on MSNBC when you have the exposure on the backside of what the conversations are, and I understand that that, that you can be friendly in a professional way, but these go beyond that, Dwayne. You have this this, uh, sort of, I won't even say unspoken, because it is detailed in the emails, the agreement to work together as a team between the mass media, which covers politics, and one political party, this is also uh, just furthering the conversation, no matter what your beliefs are, that we are going uninformed and the information that we are getting is what they choose to give us to make us, again, compliant.
3: Absolutely. And, and one thing that it, it does is it reinforces Trump's premise that this is a rigged game. Because how can you call it anything other than that when you've got John Harwood who was one of the moderators. If you remember, he was the one who, who asked Trump if this was a, a comic book version of a presidential campaign. Um, Harwood was a complete jerk throughout that entire um, debate. I remember that debate and thinking, this guy is off the rails. And then you see him in these emails talking about how he took it to Trump in, in, these, uh, in these debates. Now, it would be one thing if it was internal, you know, if it's internal to another member of NBC saying, yes, I was really hard on the candidate, that's, that's acceptable. When, when it's a moderator emailing John Podesta, who works, uh, if he's not the, the chairman of, the, of uh, Team Clinton, he's up there, mm-hmm. saying, yeah, I was really hard on Trump. Wasn't that great? That shows it's a rigged game, and that just that, that reinforces what Trump's been saying all along.
1: Dwayne Lester with us uh, this morning on the morning meeting. Have we been dumbed down to the point where finding things out like this kind of just bounces off of us or many of us? Yeah,
3: I I, I have to say, yeah, I, I it saddens me. Most of the people today, most kids coming out of high school, don't understand how their government works. You know, and it's it's been like that for a long time. We we've completely um, gotten away from the the, the Rights of the individual towards what's best for the, the the community what's best for the the everyone and we don't we don't talk about that we don't because some things like into freedoms a, and we're so distracted by by you know the, the kim kardashians of the world since that was uh one of the things that was in that bill Lighty email that when something like this happens it's there's a part of us that don't care, and then there's another part that shrugged and, and have been like, look, I told you so.
1: How dare you bring that up? Quaid is here with his Parisian heist victim costume for Halloween, the only one that was sold online before it was pulled. And you tell him that uh, he can't continue to be behaving like a Kardashian. He is offended. Uh, right now on the morning meeting, Dwayne Lester, <laughs> Dwayne dot com, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Uh, Dwayne, we love having you on because uh, we get the chance to talk about something that is uh, sort of a, a big picture philosophy of where the country is going uh, with, with your background and in the input that you give us. And I didn't have to search very far. This just came out today. Facebook and Twitter, two of the most popular social media facilitators, have cut off a surveillance tool used by police. To monitor protesters, both the Facebook, Twitter, and they were joined by Instagram, cut ties with social media surveillance company after a report by the ACLU that it was being used to monitor, again, monitor, not to jail or, or anything else, but used to monitor Protesters. Uh, that app that was uh, brought up uh, was uh, GeoFedia. I had never heard of it before today. I think this is a bigger question to go to. Uh, corporations only have well, really one job as long as it's within the law, and that's to do things that are, are good for themselves. Again, I said within the law. But there's also the bigger conversation about being a good corporate citizen. Uh, I certainly don't want people punished uh, for their for their peaceable right to protest. It's when you go over the line that we have problems. Uh, should corporations be good citizens and work with uh, authorities on these kinds of things, or should they, in the case of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, cut off the authorities from being able to use these sort of tools?
3: Well, my first thought is a, a corporation will be a success uh, not when it looks out for itself but when it looks out for itself by creating the most value for the consumer. Uh, that's you know that, There's a John Allison used to run BB&T, and he said, I, I think it was him anyway, he says, you become a billionaire by making a lot of people happy. Um, that's really the only way you can do it is by making a lot of people happy and they willingly surrender their money to you. So the question is, Will the corporation hurt itself? Is it extract value from the consumer by?
1: Dwayne Uh-oh. seems to be having some phone issues. Dwayne was about to give an answer so profound <laughs> that it would have made you uh, non-compliant. George Washington's nose gets revenge on that's Dwayne. right, that's right. Dwayne Lester, Duanelester.com. Um, let's see, Dwayne, are you still there? I think we have lost Dwayne. Josh we'll says have. No. We'll, we'll have producer Josh try to uh, grab it uh, once more. We'll, we'll try once because this is a, a, a fundamental question, Quade, that we're going to be wrestling with, with, which is, okay, you are kosher within the bounds of the legal system, mm-hmm. but what are the expectations that we should have on companies sort of beyond that to be good corporate citizens? And there's a number of ways that you can define that, uh, but none of them, if, if you don't participate, Come with any sort of legal penalty. Again, we're assuming operation within the law. Number one, and then it's the steps beyond that that I think create good corporate citizens. Well, this this is why there are uh, business and ethics courses mm-hmm. and, and and classes uh, even for the citizenry uh, to to attend to. Because I could see as as a business person, especially if things start rolling your way and you're you're enjoying those successes that uh, you you tend to kind of keep pushing and seeing how far you you can go uh, with it. And sometimes the ethics part of it uh, occasionally could be left to the side. So uh, there's a lot. That conversation is a deep one. But I would tell you that what you're talking about is why you have those uh, ethics checks and I think it's also important to have somebody, if you're going to have a business like that, you have somebody as part of your inner circle who you know you can go to on that level and uh, be a part of your group, you know, your your company. I just got a text from Dwayne. He said that he plan- he's in the vehicle. I don't know if he had the seven kids and the pregnant wife with him today or not, as he did on the vacation. Mm-hmm. But he said he planned it so that he would run out of cell coverage right then, essentially, That whole segment was clickbait because he's going to post the answer on on the blog. (laughs) What a tease. You can check it out there. DwayneLester.com. DwayneLester.com. Dwayne Lester, our guest this morning on The Morning Meeting. We'll talk with him again soon. All right, coming up this morning, who has been named the last guardian of the political gutter? And why won't that stick? We'll talk Illinois in a moment here on The Morning Meeting. Where we go, others will follow. That's who we are. Even if it's not the best idea. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and you're listening to The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. (laughs) All right, that's your homework. Finish the list. Bring it to class tomorrow. It's the is pretty good. It is pretty good. That, that's why I called it homework. We're getting an A. Oh. And I'm the one who's grading the list. So <laughs> we've, we've got an insider, kind of like Mike Madigan <sighs> in the state yeah. of Illinois, uh, who was described as the last guardian of the political gutter. There you go. Take a, take a whack-a-mole. guardian of the gutter. Take a whack-a-mole at that. He's been on this show, <laughs> which is, we could be the political the guardian gutter. of the political gutter. Is that just here in Illinois or is it overall? Uh, this is an Illinois race. Oh, it's, so it's somebody running for office mm-hmm. here in the state. And they've been on the show many times, many times on the show. Uh, I, I said this is the way this candidate was described. Darren LaHood. Wait a see. I don't get that. He's, no, his 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 challenger, Junius Rodriguez. Oh, okay. Certifiable. Is he he's a he's a kid now. And it I'm all talking makes about sense. Rodriguez, uh, who can't get any of the media attention that he so desperately craves, any of the opportunities that his uh, candidacy is so desperately craving uh, to take on Darren LaHood. This is a I, I, you can't even call it a campaign. There's no traction here. But he has been sort of one-upping himself with these mm. inflammatory uh, uh, comments, one after another. So, Julius Rodriguez said that Darren LaHood was the quote last guardian of the political gutter for not dumping on Donald Trump. This this is the the child who's going to keep getting louder mm-hmm. and louder and more crass and obnoxious... Do you have one of these? Until you... I was this person. <laughs> Some people would argue I think still we, am. I think we both were. That's why we do this show. Uh, until you pay attention to them and you, yeah. you give them the feedback that they're looking for. This is what we're seeing right now uh, with, with Rodriguez. The, the, the negative aspect of this is you're running for office, and the louder and more crass and obnoxious you get about it, aren't you turning off the voters who you're going to want to vote for you? It's a, I don't want to say referendum, it is a sign of, it's a different shade of the Trump campaign. Um, I could, I, I understand where you're going with that, mm-hmm. but Donald Trump doesn't have any trouble getting attention. Well, yeah, that's why I said it's a different shade of it. The, the two candidates, uh, LaHood and uh, Rodriguez, uh, will meet for their only debate at 6.30 Monday, that's going to be hosted by the State Journal General Register. Who the the State <laughs> Journal Register? Uh, those guys. Um, uh, in Springfield. That is the uh, newspaper that covers mm-hmm. uh, the uh, center of the state uh, out of Springfield. So there will be one and only one debate. Uh, that'll be six thirty coming up on Monday. Uh, we'll talk to Darren LaHood after that debate see how that goes see, I, I can't imagine that what i mean what's a win if you're rodriguez 10 percent of the vote 15 percent of the vote well what here's the interesting thing about this when when aaron shock was the the you know the rep in mm-hmm. that seat uh what what he would set he, national record 70 percent for getting 72 and 74 okay so if darren gets 60 65 60 65 right that's still a huge win Oh, that's, that's when they print the newspaper headline that says landslide. Back when people read newspapers, yeah. said landslide. Oh, even fifty-five, you know, forty-five was landslide in the past. Uh-huh. So if, you, if you're uh, up, up above 60, yeah, you've put a hurting on your opponent. Uh, meanwhile, the former Republican member of the Illinois State Board of Elections, it's a name you're not going to be familiar with, Philip O'Connor. Uh, he was also the former chairman of the Illinois Commerce Commission under Governor Jim Thompson. Uh, He says that he's planning to vote for Green Party presidential candidate Jill Stein, quote, in order to help Governor Bruce Rauner. His Uh, philosophy. Wait a minute. This is going to be complicated math. We're going to go off on an angle here. There's math? Yes. There will be a quiz. Uh, O'Connor's perspective on this is if Stein receives 5% or more of the presidential vote in Illinois, 5% 5% or more then the Green Party qualifies as a, quote, established political party in the state, making it eligible to place a full slate of candidates on the 2018 oh, statewide okay. ballot, which he thinks the Green Party will draw off from Democrats and liberals on the ballot. So he, his his philosophy is this. This is a disruption philosophy. Uh, he's saying, look, let's get the Green Party on there. And once they're on there, their ideology as an alternative is going to be much more enticing to those who would vote Democrat mm-hmm. than those who would vote Republican. So let's try and split off, fracture some of that Democratic vote base. Ah, divide and conquer. That's right. Taking the long He's view. long gaming the system yes. here. Yeah. So excellent work, uh, at least philosophically. I'll, I'll give Philip O'Connor credit for for trying to think this out. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, Rauner, we were just talking about landslides a moment ago. It was anything but when he uh defeated Governor Quinn, that was what four four percent he won by? It was fifty two forty eight. It was it was a tiny percentage, uh, relatively that 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 he won by. All right. The Libertarian presidential candidate Gary Johnson, uh, propelled by a quote, thoughtful endorsement from the Chicago Tribune. Uh looks like uh with that they're almost uh sure to exceed five percent, putting the Libertarian Party on the full ballot for twenty eighteen. Really? Because we'll the Tribune can gives you an endorsement? you automa- People will automatically vote for you because the Tribune endorsed you? Said the article written by the Tribune. That's going to do it for us this morning on The Morning Meeting. Hope you enjoyed it. Chock full this morning. Grab the podcast if you missed any of it. Thanks to uh, all of our guests this morning. More coming up tomorrow on The Morning Meeting. Morning Meeting adjourned. Join us again tomorrow for the best talk in the tri-states. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD.